Lord, we thank you for the richness of your word. We thank you, Lord, that you have spoken to us truth and life. Thank you that you, by your spirit, have, have shined a light brightly in our path that we know which way to go. Holy Spirit, you are the great teacher. You are our guide. And we pray, Lord, that you would open Scripture up to us today. Every one of us comes from a slightly different standpoint. We've all had different weeks, but Lord, we believe. That's why we're here, that you want to speak to us. You want to open doors. You want to heal hurts. You want to soften hearts. You want to build up and encourage and refill and strengthen us all. So we declare, Lord, today, our ears are wide open. Speak to us, O God, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so we're in Galatians week four. Uh, slight change to the published program. Next week, Emily is preaching. I think I said that she's going to continue in Galatians. She's going to do the next passage, which will be great. Today, I'm going to cover chapter three, verses one to 14. That's 14 whole verses, 10 minutes each. You can do the maths. No, I just, let's, let's set that up soon before we dive in. You'll find it here that, that Paul keeps hitting the same themes over and over again. Why? Well, I think primarily because they're really important ones. And of course, the problem, as we know, that he's writing into here is that the works of the law had been so deeply ingrained in the Jewish way of life for so long, it was proving really difficult to dig it out. See, Paul was, was desperately trying to, trying to drag Jewish believers out of the old way and into the new. Away from all, all those rules and ritual and regulation into grace and freedom Christ. And of course, some of the, the Jews, particularly those false teachers that we call the Judaizers, they were trying just as hard to pull Galatian Christians over into that old way of life. And hence Paul's opening words here in Galatians chapter 3, you foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? And hence Paul, Paul's impassioned defense here of the true gospel, of grace, and of faith and freedom in Christ. We've covered chapters one and two. In chapters three and four, Paul keeps chipping away, and he keeps coming at this from, from different angles. Verses one to five is like this. If the Holy Spirit started all of this, why do you then keep going back to trying to do it yourself, your own way, and in your own strength? That's the first section. The second section, verses 6 through to 9, is the, the, the dearly sought, the, the greatly coveted blessing of Abraham. He, Paul says is the result 
of your second birth. It's a result of being born again. It's a result of being born by faith. It's not the result of your first birth, which is, which is your natural birth, your, your natural descent, your line, if you like. And then the third section is verses 10 through 14, which, which if I were to summarize that, it, summarize that, it's that law curses, but Christ redeems us from that curse, which is very good news. And as actually, as Emily will demonstrate, I'd imagine next week, Paul pushes those points even further and even harder in the second half of Galatians chapter 3. Okay, so let's dive in. We'll read the first five verses. We'll, we're going to do it in those three sections. Verse 1 says, You foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? Before your very eyes, Jesus Christ was clearly portrayed as crucified. I would like to learn just one thing from you. Did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law or by believing what you heard? Are you so foolish? After beginning by means of the Spirit, are you now trying to finish by means of the flesh? Have you experienced so much in vain if it really was in vain? Verse 5, so again I ask, does God give you his spirit and work miracles among you by the works of the law or by your believing what you heard? So the first section, number one, is this. The Holy Spirit started it. And it will be the Holy Spirit who finishes it. Let me read you verse 2 and 3 from the Amplified Version. It says, let me ask you this one question. Did you receive the Holy Spirit as a result of obeying the law and doing its works? Or was it by hearing the message of the gospel and believing it? Was it from observing a law of rituals or from a message of faith? Are you so foolish and so senseless and so silly? Having begun your new life spiritually with the Holy Spirit, are you now reaching perfection by dependence on the flesh? So the moral of the story is this. You'll never achieve perfection, but by dependence on this Greek word sarx, which is flesh, which is toil, it's, it's self-effort, it's, it's self-discipline. You'll never achieve perfection by that or indeed anything else except for Spirit, pneuma, the grace of God and the transforming power of the Holy Spirit. Now we know that the, the, the Greek word translated here, perfection, it means to finish, it means to complete, it means to mature. And so the point is, we receive salvation by grace alone, but then the dangers we try to perfect or complete or mature ourselves than by our own efforts. Tim Keller wrote something like this. He said that chapter 2 shows us that we are saved by the power of the gospel. Chapter 3 shows us that we also grow by the power of the same gospel. 
And he goes on to say that the way that the Spirit entered your life should be the very same way he advances your life. Well, this is, this is a great word. If, you, if you're anything like me, your life has featured a lot of huffing and puffing, a lot of stressing and straining and striving, all sorts of new initiatives, or oh, ambitious three-point plans. If I'd only do this every year, New Year's resolutions that last 15 minutes, all of which are designed to fix or to improve or to mature myself. What does Paul say? Verse 3, in a moment of high taxfulness, he says, Are you so foolish and so senseless and so silly? Having begun your new life spiritually with the Holy Spirit, are you now reaching perfection, completion, maturity by your dependence on, by your reliance on, by living in the flesh? And of course, this doesn't mean that, that we don't need to exert effort or have determination, or be disciplined. It means that the only way we will truly change, and we will truly grow, and we will truly mature, is by God's grace, under the inspiration and the leading of the Holy Spirit. In fact, Paul says, depending on flesh is foolish. It's senseless. It's silly will also prove to be frustrating and disappointing and, frankly, futile. I cannot fix myself. I have tried, and I have duly failed. And it's even worse than that. Not only can I not fix myself, you cannot fix me. Now, this is good news. This means we can all take a deep breath and relax. Verse 5, so again I ask, does God give you his spirit and does God work miracles among you by the works of the law or by believing what you heard? Now, I reckon fixing me is going to require a miracle. But the truth is, as we read here, it's going to be the result of believing what you heard. Not blood, sweat and tears not futile attempts to keep long lists of self-written rules and regulations. Instead, we all need to be prepared to surrender to a Holy Spirit-led journey into the fullness of grace and freedom. Philippians 2, verse 12. Therefore, my dear friends, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Verse 13. For it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. Yes, there's going to need to be some working out. Yes, it's going to take a little bit of fear and trembling. But this is God's department. And the good news is he is very, very good at it. Remember those pictures of that piece of clay on the potter's wheel, that piece of impure oil, sorry, impure ore in the, in the, in the refiner's fire. 
you know what? Yes, we should want to change. We should want to become more like Jesus, but no one can do God's job for him. Verse 30, for it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. Here you go. It is the Holy Spirit who is the seed you need to grow the fruits listed in chapter 5 of Galatians, chapter 5, 22 to 23. It's the Holy Spirit who fills our heart with his love so we can love others. It's the Holy Spirit who produces in us that, that peace that passes understanding. It's going to be strong faith in God, sparked by the Holy Spirit shining his light on the word that is going to keep us patient and faithful. And it's the Holy Spirit who convicts us and who leads us into repentance and transformation. Amen. We know this. This is good news. And yet, bewitched and foolish, we still so often try to fix the darn thing ourselves. In which case, how do we change? It's a great question. Not Paul is going to get to that in chapters 4, 5, and 6. But having set you up, I'll, I'll give you a clue, and then we'll come to it. Number one, it's about the promise. The rest of chapter 3 is about the promise. How do you change? Number one, it's about the promise. Number two, it's about identity. Chapter four is all about true sonship. No longer slaves. Number three, it's about yielding to the spirit rather than the flesh. Chapter five, of course, contrasts the works of the flesh with the fruit of the spirit. And number four, it's about sowing the right seed. Galatians 6, verse 7, do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. Whoever sows to please their flesh, from the flesh will reap destruction. Whoever sows to please the Spirit, from the Spirit will reap eternal life. Joyce Meyer wrote this. Her commentary said, I think it is a tragedy to teach new believers in Christ what they should do and how they need to change without first teaching them who they are in Christ. That they are justified and made right with God by grace through faith. And that he loves them unconditionally. When people are rooted in God's love and acceptance, they want to change and easily cooperate with the Holy Spirit. And this is what Paul endeavours to take us through in the rest of the letter. Okay, section two. This is verses uh, six through nine. The title here is, You are born of faith and you are blessed through faith. I'll read verse six. So also Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. Understand then that those who have faith are children of Abraham. Scripture foresaw that God would justify the Gentiles by faith 
and announced the gospel in advance to Abraham. All nations will be blessed through you. Verse 9, so those who rely on faith are blessed, along with Abraham, the man of faith. So for Paul here, the next, the next spoke in the wheel, the next line of attack, the next, the next prong in his argument it is to call Abraham as a witness for the defense. Now we know, don't we, that there were three great figures in Hebrew history. The first one was Father Abraham, the patriarch. He was the one who received the promise from God. I will make you a great nation. I will bless those who bless you. As many as the stars in the heavens and sand on the seashore, so shall your offspring be. Through your family, all the nations will be blessed. And then character number two is the deliverer, Moses. He's the one who led them through Passover, out of captivity in Egypt, into the wilderness, heading for the promised land and for freedom. He's the one, of course, who received the law written on tablets of stone from God himself. And the third great figure, King David, slayer of giants, writer of Psalms, designer of the temple, man after God's own heart, the king whose kingdom would last forever. We know the timeline is significant here. We know, don't we, that it was Abraham before Moses, 430 years approximately, and then it was Moses before David, and David before Jesus Christ. Verse 6, so also Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness. I want you to notice this, and here's the timeline. This, this promise to Abraham, what was given before the law had even been instituted, 430 years before, in fact. So Abraham's righteousness had to have been by faith because he believed God and not by works of the law because the law hadn't even been instituted yet. Because he believed God, because of his faith, not his works, that faith was credited to him as righteousness. Not, not because he was perfect, not because he was so wonderfully law-abiding, there was no law, but because of his faith, he was justified. Remember that word last week? Justified means given the legal status of righteous, to be, to be right with God, to be acceptable to God. In other words here, Paul, Paul is confident to say to all those Jews, Gentiles like, to all those Judaizers, all those who are banging away for legalistic Judaism, he was able to say, your faith founder, your, your patriarch, your, your natural and spiritual father, Abraham himself would agree here with what I'm saying. And then the message of verses 7 to 9 essentially is be like Abraham. Have saving faith. 
believe the gospel promise. Look to the supernatural hand of God. He's saying this, you receive the blessing of Abraham, not because of your natural descent, not because of your family bloodline or, or your Jewish heritage. You're, you're blessed not because you obey the law, as we'll see in verses 10 through 14. You are blessed because of your faith. And note then the contrast with Moses, who was to come next. Abraham received his blessing by faith, but Moses and the Israelites worked and struggled in vain to keep the law in pursuit of the same blessing of God. So verse 9 says, So those who rely on faith are blessed, along with Abraham, the man of faith. But verse 10 goes on to say, for all who rely on the works of the law, they're not blessed. They're under a curse. And that leads us on to the third section, verses 10 through 14. This is, this is the law curses, number three, the law curses. But Christ redeems us from that curse. Let's read that passage. Verse 10, for all who rely on the works of the law are under a curse. As it is written, cursed is everyone who does not continue to do everything written in the book of the law. Clearly, no one who relies on the law is justified before God because the righteous will live by faith. The law is not based on faith. On the contrary, it says the person who does these things will live by them. Verse 13, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who is hung on a pole. Verse 14, he redeemed us in order that the blessing given to Abraham might come to the Gentiles through Christ Jesus, so that by faith we might receive the promise of the Spirit. Loads in here, so... We'll go through an order, we'll pick through it really, really quickly. Verses 9 and 10. It essentially is saying you, you, you've got a choice. You can live either by relying on the law, verse 10, or, or you can live by relying on faith, verse 9. And ultimately, we all have that choice. And I expect if you're anything like me, most of us, we probably flip-flop between the two. But of course, Paul makes it abundantly clear here which is the right answer. Are we going to live by faith or are we going to live by law? The, the expression to live by something means to rely on it for our happiness and fulfillment. It's what gives us meaning. It's what gives us confidence. It's what defines us. It's where we turn when push comes to shove. The question Paul is asking here is, which is it going to be? Is it going to be law or is it going to be faith? Here's the kicker. The result of, of living by law, the result of relying on law, the result of defaulting to law is that you are under a curse. Law is is a curse. It is a 
heavy burden. It is an impossible task. It just results in cycles of failure and frustration. Under the law, in order to be blessed by God rather than cursed, you have to strive to satisfy its every demand and its every obligation. And in fact, the more aware of the law you are, the more likely you are to find some detail that you've broken. Of course, that results in, in, in this dark shadow of guilt and shame, which is really self-punishment because the law shows you that you deserve punishment. And in time, you just get exhausted. Many people, many Christians, even quit trying and give up serving God because it feels futile. And when you go to a, to a religious church, you simply get reminded all over again every week how much of a failure you are. So a few years ago, Catherine and I were attending a church. I won't tell you which one it was. I had to go. I was a praise and worship leader. And the pastor there, bless his heart, lovely guy, he preached for at least an hour every week. And we'd finish the service and Catherine and I would go and we'd sit in the car and we'd look at each other and we'd say something like this. I don't know whether to laugh or to cry. Because for one hour, that pastor, bless his good intentions, frankly just beat us up. What's the expression? Up the one side and down the other. You know, I joke, don't I, about people walking out of here a couple of inches taller and a little bit lighter and a little bit freer and bolder. You know, every week, frankly, we were crushed by this religious load that was being attempted to be put on our shoulders. Folks, law is a curse. And it just binds you up. Verse 11. Clearly, no one who relies on the law is justified before God because the righteous, here we go, will live by law. Come on, someone, call me on it. Just checking you're awake. Turns out no one was. The righteous will live by faith. As we saw last week, justification is by faith and not by works. And here is our call. Our call is the just shall live by faith. Habakkuk 2 verse 4 says, The righteous shall live by his faith. Romans 1.17, As it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. Hebrews 10.38, but my righteous one shall live by faith. We're getting the point. Hebrews 11 verse 6, without faith it is impossible to please him. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. Goes on, verse 12, this is the Amplified. But the Lord does not rest on faith, does not require faith, has nothing to do with faith. For it itself says, he who does them, the things prescribed by the law, shall live by them, not by faith. See, law and faith pull in opposite directions. One pulls towards you and your flesh. One pulls towards God and his spirit. And so the message, you cannot rely on both. You cannot live 
by both. We're going to have to pick one or the other. And we must resist the temptation to start with spirit and start with faith, but revert to law and revert to human effort. Then we reach the, the climax, verses 13 and 14. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law, amen, by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who is hung on a pole. He redeemed us in order that the blessing given to Abraham might come to the Gentiles through Christ Jesus, so that by faith he might receive the promise of the Spirit. Here's the wonderful good news. Here is the true gospel. The great substitution. Jesus took the curse we deserved so that we could receive the blessing he deserved. And in fact, it's even stronger than that. He, he didn't just take the curse. Jesus became cursed. Now, when a person was executed in the Old Testament, as I'm sure you know, it was usually by stoning. And then the, the body was then hung on a tree as a symbol of divine rejection. Lovely. So on the cross, Christ experienced the curse of divine rejection. Deuteronomy 21, 23 is what's being quoted here. Because anyone who is hung on a pole is under God's curse. We read this last week. 2 Corinthians 5, 21. God made him who had no sin to be sin. To be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. The good news is, though the law curses, Christ redeems us from that curse. Because Christ was cursed, we have become blessed. All the fullness, all the riches of those lavish promises made to Abraham, all the promises included in the Old Testament and the New Verse 14, he redeemed us in order that the blessing given to Abraham might come to the Gentiles through Christ Jesus. Ephesians 1 verse 3, praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us, has blessed us, past tense, in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. 2 Corinthians 1 20, for all the promises of God in him are yes and in him, amen, to the glory of God us. If we believe God, if we follow the leading of the Spirit, if we resist the temptation to try to, to fix it ourselves in our own strength, then we can live in the fullness of God's blessing. See, blessed is not what we get. Blessed is who we are. Say that again, because there's a big line. Blessed is not what we get. Blessed is who we are. We have been declared blessed. We live from a position of blessing. Thank God that we no longer have to live under the curse of the law. And instead, we get to live in the freedom of the Holy Spirit, empowered by his 
freely and readily available grace. Here's Paul's message. Why would we go back to legalism when we can have freedom in Christ? Why settle for the best we can do when we can live in the fullness of all Christ died to give us? You know, folks, this is the message of the letter to the Galatians. And I, for one, am extremely grateful for it. What we're going to do is um, I've written a declaration prayer. Everyone love a good declaration? Thank you. We've spoken a lot of truth. There's a lot of wonderful doctrinal truth in this. And I thought it would be really, really good before we respond just to make a, a bold declaration. I could pray it over you, but I thought it would be great for you guys to pray it. So I'm going to invite you, if you don't mind, to stand to your feet. And Maestro at the back, Barry, is going to put the first slide on the screen, which hopefully you can see with your bionic eyes. And we're going to read this. You can trust me. You can trust me. It's a good prayer. Right. And we'll read it together. Thank you, Lord, for saving me, for the mercy of the cross, the miracle of the resurrection, and the power of your blood. Thank you that I have been saved by grace alone, through faith alone, and in Christ alone that I am justified, made righteous, and declared blessed, that there is now no shadow of guilt, shame, or condemnation, that I am free to live in the fullness of your spirit, standing on your amazing promises and drawing on your enabling grace. I declare that... I declare on my own. Do another slide there, Barry. Yes, there we go. Okay, excellent. Here we go. I declare that just as I have been saved by faith, I will live by faith. I will put my trust in you, not me. In your word, not mine. In your wisdom, not the world. In your grace, not my own strength. Told you it's a good prayer. Next one. I declare that just as I have been saved by the power of the gospel, I will endeavor to grow by the power of the gospel. I will give up trying to better myself and instead choose to cooperate with the transforming power of the Holy Spirit as he walks with me, convicts me, and leads me towards wholeness, goodness, truth, and freedom. And then the third one, I declare that I am dead to the curse of the law and alive to the power of Christ. I give up relying on me. I let go of that list of rules. I stop trying to earn blessing and instead choose to become a blessing, not seeking the best I can do, but pressing into all that you can do in me and through me. For all this, I give you the praise and glory due to your great name. Amen. Amen. Thank you very much. Please stand. The worship team would like to come forward and just set up response. Uh, we're doing fine for time here. So how, how do we respond to that this morning? Uh, I'm just going to leave you with two questions, really. Question number one is this. If you are honest, are you relying on you or are you relying on him? Come on, be honest with me. 
And if you're anything like me, there's probably a lot of flip-flopping goes on between relying on God, of course I rely on God, but then kind of grabbing it back and trying to do it and fix it myself. We're all in that boat. We're all on that journey. And so the response out of that to that question is one of, of consecration. It's one of surrender, and we've kind of prayed it already, but just going before God and saying, Lord, Lord, I want to rely on you, not me. I recognize that it's futile to rely on the best I can do when I can have access to all that you can do. And so I would encourage you to get on your knees this morning as you respond and say, God, I give you control. I let go, and I choose to rely on you. That's, that's number one. Number two, similar but slightly different. Number two is what are you trying to fix yourself? The New Year's resolution didn't work. The three-point plan didn't work. Even Joel Osteen's book didn't work. Right? You're trying to fix it yourself. Good news. That's not your job. It's not your job to fix yourself. It's futile even trying. Yes, we need to surrender. Yes, we need to be open. But the good news is it's God's job, and he's very good at it. And so the response to that is just to ask God for wisdom, really. And to lay before him, Lord, this is the issue. This is the mountain I keep banging up against. This is the hurdle I keep knocking over. This is the pit pothole I keep falling in. And say, God, what do I need to do? What do I need to let go of? What do I need to take up? What promise do I need to stand on? What am I ignoring that you told me? And ask God to take you on that transforming journey. Trust me, it's much better. You'll get there much quicker if you allow God to do the work rather than clinging on and trying to do it yourself. And then the other thing I need to say is, is, if, is if neither of those are you particularly, you know, we've got a great deal in that message to give thanks for. Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law, being just one. So as we worship and as we respond this morning, there's the opportunity, isn't there, just to give thanks to God for the gospel, for Christ, for the cross, for the resurrection, for the spirit, for the promise, and the blessing that we stand in. What we'll do is we'll, um, we'll, we'll sing. Uh, as always, the, the prayer ministry team are over here. They'll be delighted to pray for you, whether it's something stirred by the message or otherwise, please feel free to go see them over there. They're great. Uh, and if you want to do business with God, why not come over this side, be bold, walk to the front and say, God, I'm in business. And then come and pray those prayers with him yourself over here. We'll worship and, and then... Simon will lead us into the end of the service or whatever. Amen. Let's stand, shall we?